Thank you very much. Good morning. It is uh, great to be with you. I recognize a few faces, many I don't, but that's okay. Um, it is so good to be here. Grab your Bibles. As Nathan said, please and turn to Mark chapter 5, uh, verse 1, and I'm going to meet you there in a moment. Um, I don't know if you've ever had the chance to go back and uh, drive by or, or visit the, the place where, where you grew up, the, the home or the apartment that was, was home for you as a child. I've done that a couple times in Mississauga, where my family's from, and every time I go back there and kind of drive around the street and see that house, it, it evokes a lot of good memories for me. And, and in many ways, that's my experience when I come back to Barrie. Uh, last night, I came in, and, and I drove around a bit. We drove past the, the house Adrian and I bought, our first house, and where we began to have our family, and lots of great memories. And every time I come back here to this church, it's the same feeling, just lots of good things that I experienced. And I had the privilege of serving on staff here from uh, 2002 to 2010, uh, shortly after the church I was planted and uh, got to see some exciting things and remember dreaming about, hey, wouldn't it be cool to have a building someday? And, uh, and that's really neat to see all the things that God has done. And I'm thankful for, um, for Pastor Todd and his uh, leadership. And in my very formative green years, he took, he took a shot with me, uh, took a risk hiring me back in those days, a single young guy who knew nothing. And uh, the only difference now is I'm married. So, um, but, uh, but I'm grateful for his friendship over the years. And uh, this is a place I love so much. And, and I'm just glad to be here. Um, I left in 2010. The Lord took us down to Oakville and we started, we were pastoring there for, for a short season. And uh, and are living in Burlington, where we still are. And in about 2014, God led us out of the local church ministry world and into the parachurch ministry world, um, which was unexpected, but very exciting. And um, I joined Prison Fellowship Canada at that point. I know that's an organization this church has supported over, this year, over the years, uh, that a church that's doing, or sorry, an organization that's doing great kingdom work in the name of Jesus, connecting local churches, to folks that are either incarcerated or previously have been incarcerated and just pointing them to the hope uh, that is found in Jesus Christ. And, and I was loving doing what I was doing. Last time I was here, that's what I was doing. But about two years ago, like God gave me an opportunity to join Scott Mission. And I didn't really know much about Scott Mission um, other than a friend of mine worked there and I'd been there once uh, to visit. But it's this incredible organization that I'm just going to shamelessly take a minute and give a commercial on because that's what I can do now that I'm standing up front right now. So um, Scott Mission, if you're not familiar with this organization, um, it's, it was founded 82 years ago by Morris Zeidman. He was a uh, Polish immigrant who, Jewish background, came to faith in Jesus Christ and had such a, a burning passion for two things, uh, preaching the gospel and serving the poor. That's what his heart was all about. And so he began what became Scott Mission at that point uh, with those two things in mind, preaching the good news of Jesus and serving the poor and vulnerable around them. And, and that continues to be 82 years later, by God's grace, what the organization is about. Uh, we have the privilege of ministering to lots of people who are struggling with homelessness, lots of uh, new Canadians who are just trying to get started, um, lots of people in various communities in various levels of, of crisis. And it's an organization that's focused on these things. In my role, uh, I have the opportunity to just oversee all of the ministry and, and programs across our sites and, and uh, communities in which we serve. It's, it's amazing. So what does that look like? For us, it starts with meeting people's immediate needs. So we have, for example, uh, a 66-bed shelter right in Kensington Market, 24-7 uh, men's shelter. We, uh, it's full every night. 
uh, with guys that, that really have no other place to go. And, and many of them are there for a long time because of the housing crisis in our cities. Um, two and a half years is the average stay. We've had guys with us for 12 years, which um, is, is problematic in my sense because we want to see people transformed. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. We also run food and clothing banks across the city five days a week, ministering to thousands of people in the communities. Uh, a free hot meal program five days a week in Kensington Market, a breakfast and lunch, hot meals, healthy hot meals for, for people who have no other alternatives, a daycare for low-income families, and we also run a Scott Mission Camp, a uh, children and youth camp out in Caledon, uh, which is focused on youth and children from some of the high-priority neighborhoods in Toronto that you would hear about on the news. Uh, we have the opportunity to work with many of them, and that's, that's awesome. But all of that is really just to get them into the next stage, which is really the transformational side of our ministry, which is centered on Jesus. And our, our, our ultimate goal, and I know you would share in this, is a transforming encounter with Jesus Christ. And so as we do all of those things that we talk about, we, we share the good news of Jesus. We, we do evangelistic outreach. We are doing Bible studies and discipleship and spiritual formation. We're providing Christ-centered counseling and addiction recovery and uh, other life skill programs. And if you come to the mission, and I'd love for you to come to the mission and, and visit us sometime downtown, um, next time you're shopping in Kensington Market, just look around, we're right there. There's a logo on, the, on one of the buildings there. Um, but come visit us. But one of the things you'll hear a lot is the word transformation. Transformation. We're, we want to see lives transformed. We want to see people on that journey of transformation from, from where they're at into a life that is flourishing, the abundant life that's found in Jesus Christ. And, and that's not unique to, to me or to Scott Mission or to Prison Fellowship. or It's, it's not even unique to this. It's, it's the heart of God for each and every one of us. Do you believe that? That God wants us to be transformed. He, it's the reason why he sent Jesus into this world. God, his only son, because he loved us and he saw our desperate need and he said, Jesus, you are the answer to this. And Christ entered this world into the world he created so he could rescue us from sin and death and so he could transform us into the image of Jesus. That's God's heart. Transformation. His heart for the people I have the privilege of serving and the heart for each and every one of us who are here together. And this morning as we look to Mark chapter 5, I want us to look at the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And as we look at this particular story, and we're going to see it so clearly in this passage of how Jesus can radically transform a person. As we look at that, the challenge for us is it's, it's not so much about this guy's story, but it's about our story. God wants to transform you and me. He wants to take us from where we are now on a journey a journey of becoming more and more like him, a journey of freedom, a journey of hope for that. And so we want to encounter that transforming power together. You ready for that? If you're ready, say ready. ready. All right, let's read it. Let's dig into it. Mark chapter five. I'm going to read the passage and then we'll pray. So please join me. And I'm at Harvest Berry, so I will use the ESV this morning. All right, sound good? All right, here we go. Mark chapter five, verse one through 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. 
And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Verse 11, now a great herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside and they begged them saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country and people came to see what it was that had happened. Verse 15, And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done and everyone marveled. Let's pray. God in heaven, I thank you for the privilege we have this morning of boldly approaching your throne through Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you that uh, you love us with a steadfast, unchanging love, that you are faithful even when we are not faithful. You are a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you are a God who has revealed yourself to us through your son, Jesus Christ, and through your word. And this morning, God, as we open the scriptures, as we look at this story, inspired by the Holy Spirit, here for our our own transformation, God. I do pray, Lord, that you would transform our hearts and our minds this morning. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are ready to respond in obedience and in faith. And Lord, I pray that this day would continue to be about Jesus Christ in your name alone. I thank you for who you are, God. Thank you for your presence. Would you speak to us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are in Mark 5, 1 to 20, and we're talking about the transforming power of God, not just knowing it, but encountering it for ourselves. And here's the place to begin this morning if you're taking notes. Number one, we need to confront our own brokenness. If if we're going to encounter that power for ourselves, then we must confront our own brokenness. I must confront my own brokenness. Look with me at the text in verse 1. And just to give you the context here, always good to understand where you are in the story. So the end of chapter 4, um, I have the heading to my Bible, Jesus calms a storm. Do you remember that story? The disciples are in the boat and, and these guys are experienced um, guys when it comes to boats and, and they're on this boat and this storm kicks up and there's waves crashing and they think they're going to die. And what's Jesus doing again? 
He's sleeping, right? Because he's, it's all good. And so they wake up Jesus. And say, Why are you asleep? Don't you care? And Jesus speaks to the storm, he rebukes it, and he says, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And in four, chapter 4, verses 41, the, the disciples are filled with fear, and they turn to each other, and they say, who then is this? Who is this? that even the wind and the seas obey him. And so they're just spinning in this moment, like, I can't believe what we're witnessing. And we pick up in verse one here. They came to the other side of the sea now. The boat rolls into the other side of the sea in the country of the Gerasenes. Now, if you're into biblical geography, this is located on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And there's debate over the exact location. For our purposes, it doesn't matter so much, the exact location. But what's interesting here is, in this region, there was a city, Gadara, that had a steep slope within about 40 yards of the shore, and around it were, were a bunch of old tombs. Okay, so that's going to matter here in a moment. Notice in verse 2, as we talk about this, when Jesus stepped out of the boat now, immediately they are met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. So Jesus encounters a person in crisis. A man with an unclean spirit. Have you ever encountered somebody in crisis? Here's this guy who, who comes up to Jesus in crisis. He's embodying brokenness in this moment. And notice what this brokenness includes. Uh, Mark uses the phrase, an unclean spirit. Uh, other translations, if you're using another one, might have the phrase, impure spirit. Uh, Mark uses this, this, this word or this phrase uh, 11 times in this way, unclean, 14 times using the word demon, Really what it means is uh, the Jewish way of describing a, a demonic spirit or a spirit that is in opposition to God. Now pause here for a moment. Ephesians uh, 6. This is important for us to remember as we think about brokenness and the, the transforming power of God. We're told to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and to put on the whole armor of God. Why? That we might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand firm. Why does that matter? It matters because it reminds us that there's a spiritual battle that is being waged even right now. And we have an enemy who prowls around like a lion seeking somebody to devour. And he's looking for opportunities in your life and in mine to, to get in, to exercise influence, and to lead us away from Jesus to ultimately bring shame on his name. And listen, it's true, but it's not something that we, we need to be afraid of, right? Why? Because the battle has already been won, amen? We, Jesus already won the battle. We're, we're fighting battles that, that Jesus has already won, but we also can't ignore this reality. We're told not to be ignorant. We're told to be aware and to be ready to stand firm in the strength of God using the tools that he's given us. And in this man's case, he was completely demonized under the influence of this, these demonic powers in his life to the point that he had lost complete control and these, this demonic influence was trying to destroy him. It's a picture of deep brokenness in this moment. Notice verse 3 as well as we look at this, the brokenness here. It says, he lived among the tombs. I don't know where you live, but 
I'm guessing not in a graveyard. Is that, is that a fair assumption? Okay, good. So this guy did, right? He lived in tombs. And in those days, you know, you didn't have a plot of land and you wouldn't dig a hole and necessarily put a body or, or ashes. They would take, they'd take caves or they would cut out um, places in rocks and they would place the bodies. You think when Jesus' body was taken down from the cross, they put him in a, in a tomb and lay the body there and the women would come to visit and then they found out he was risen from the dead. Awesome, right? So that's the idea here. This man lived in one of those tombs with dead bodies. It's brokenness. Notice verse three, uh, verse three as well. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles into pieces. So this demonic influence on him was so strong that he became extremely violent and uncontrollable that people just like, we just got to lock him up in chains and they'd put chains on him and, and try just to hold him there. And he, he had such crazy uncontrollable rage or whatever was going on, he would just tear it all apart. It's brokenness. Notice verse five, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. His violent, uncontrollable behavior was at the very least self-destructive, if not suicidal. And listen, the enemy's goal for us, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's the enemy's end game with us. But Jesus has come so that we might have life and have it abundantly. And here's this man picturing for us brokenness. Interestingly, the Jewish perspective in this time was there was four signs, symptoms of madness. Ready? Number one, somebody would be walking around at night. Number two, spending the night on a grave. Number three, tearing their clothes. And number four, destroying what was given to them. That was the four signs of madness. And this guy's checking all four boxes. He is a picture of, of brokenness in this moment. You know, when I first started at Scott Mission a couple years ago, I was struck with the brokenness that I encountered uh, right out of the gate. And uh, we have the privilege of serving lots of people in, in, in serious crisis. But I remember one day I was, I'd parked in the parking garage in Kensington Park and I was walking up Spadina towards the mission and I saw this guy coming towards me. It was about 8 o'clock in the morning. And he uh, did not look like he was in good shape. Um, his clothes were torn. He wasn't wearing any shoes. And it was the fall. Um, he was very dirty. And he was screaming obscenities at the top of his lungs. Just, just hurling obscenities into the sidewalk as he walked. And I thought to myself, he's coming towards me right now. And I remember that story in Luke where I can't go to the other side because that's not the Good Samaritan. That's not, that's not Scott. What am I going to do right now? This guy had no interest in talking to me. He was, it was, it was, it just stuck with me. And I thought to myself, here's a guy who needs Jesus to transform him and to set him free. You know, my office, uh, I'm on the first floor. I have this window. Um, I can see out. People can't see in. It's one of those, well, those windows, and it's hilarious. People come up. They'll shave their head in my window. They'll do their makeup. Uh, they'll do selfies or whatever. But it was also the place during COVID where we had to have our lineups because we had to do um, hot meals through a window for people. 
And I remember sitting there at times just looking out at the, wind, out the window at the people coming and lots of just regular people, but some that were in insignificant crisis, that were facing deep levels of brokenness. Here's what I want to challenge us with this morning, that the journey of transformation begins when someone is willing and, and is able to confront that brokenness. And, and here's what I know, that it's easy to see brokenness in a, in a story like this. That guy's broken. It's easy to see brokenness in the guy coming towards me on the street. It's easy to see brokenness in the people around me, but it's harder to see the brokenness when I'm standing in the mirror. You know what I'm saying? And here's what I want to suggest to you, that all of us have areas in our lives where we need the transforming power of Jesus Christ. All of us are, are broken. Some of us are just better at hiding it. And we need the transforming power of Jesus Christ. The places in my life where I'm still not yet fully like Jesus, the place in my life and in my heart where God needs to change me and move me forward in that journey. What does that look like for you? What does that look like for me? You know, sometimes they're emotional wounds that God needs to help heal in our lives the bitterness and the resentment at times that we carry, that we need God's help to come in and into our hearts and transform us and help us to forgive. Maybe it's a sinful habit or a destructive habit that you need to help. You need God to help you overcome. Brokenness comes in lots of forms, emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, and we can choose to ignore that and excuse it or explain it away or by God's grace, we can confront it. We can acknowledge it. We can bring it into the light, into the loving light of God, into the tender, loving arms of Jesus so that he can transform us and make us different. That's the transforming power of Jesus as we confront our brokenness and turn to him. Notice the second thing from the passage, not just confronting our brokenness, but then submitting to his authority. I must submit to his authority. Look at verse 6. When this man saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. So just pause there and, and try to picture that in your mind. This, this guy in his, in his, in his rage and his brokenness, he sees Jesus from afar and makes a beeline for him. And when he gets to Jesus, he falls down on his knees in front of him. What's, what's happening here? I'm going to suggests it's not necessarily an act of worship in this moment, but, but rather an act of submission to the authority that is before this man right now. They knew who Jesus was, the, this demonic influence. In fact, Mark chapter 3, verse 11 says that whenever the unclean spirit saw Jesus, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And I love that because this tells me that though the demonic world is real and is active and has a level of influence, they know their place before Jesus. Amen? They know whom they stand. James uh, puts it this way in James 2. He says, um, you believe that God is one and you do well, but even the demons believe and they shudder. Why do they shudder? 
because they know their place before Jesus. They know that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he's the ruler of the universe. He's the creator and sustainer of life. They know the one who holds all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth and they bow their knees in submission to Jesus because he is God. Now let's have a moment of honesty for a moment. Um, some of us don't like authority. I'm not going to get you to put up your hands because I'd have to put mine up too in this moment. But some of us don't like authority, right? Uh, we don't like to come under authority. We struggle with it at times. I don't like being told what to do, especially by my children. <laughs> and and it, the feeling's mutual, by the way. It kind of goes two ways in our house. They don't like me telling them what to do. And we're at the stage of parenting right now where, you know, as three teenage boys and my daughter, who's basically a teenager, um, and, and we'll have these conversations and, and they're under the illusion uh, that they have autonomy in life. Full autonomy, Dad. I can do whatever I want. And, and so we have these conversations where I say, hey, guys, um, we need you to clean your room and I need you to empty the dishwasher, and I need you to feed the dog. And, and if you're unsure, I've made this color-coded chart. It's on the fridge. You've got names. Just follow along and check the boxes when you're done. That's, that's kind of how it works, and at least on paper. And, and often the response I get is, yeah, I'm good. I'm like, pardon me? No, no, I'm, I'm okay, Dad. And I'm like, the rage. No, uh, uh, and Adrian's like, calm down. And so I'm thinking to myself, that wasn't a suggestion, man. You need to go do that right now. Listen, when it comes to experiencing the transforming power of Jesus or just following Jesus in general, it's absolutely crucial that we learn to come under the rightful authority of God in Jesus Christ. When God speaks, he speaks as a loving father. But Jesus also speaks to us as Lord of the universe. And so like the disciples in, in Luke 5 who are, who've been toiling all night and not catching anything, we need to learn to say, Jesus, at your word, I'll put down my nets on the other side. I will do what you've asked me because I'm placing myself under your authority. Let me ask you this morning, have you, have you done that? Have you bent your knee in submission to Jesus Christ? not only as Savior, but as Lord. And maybe as we talk about brokenness, maybe, maybe for you, that's, that's the brokenness, that you're, you're living your life apart from Jesus right now. And you're here, and, and by God's grace, you're here, but you haven't yet acknowledged the need for a Savior who is Jesus Christ. You haven't gone to the cross and bent your knee by faith and trusted in the finished work that he's done for you. And if that's the case, listen, I want to lovingly encourage you this morning and say there is no other way other than Jesus. There's no other way or truth or life apart from Jesus. He is the answer. There's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. There's salvation and no one else. Jesus is the answer. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the people who realize that. Blessed are the ones who get to the end of themselves and just say, I need you, Jesus. And they come and they bend their knees before him in submission to his authority. And maybe you've already done that this morning. You can look to when that happened and you have confidence that you know and follow Jesus. But I want to encourage you as I do myself to do that again today. To say today is a day that I will walk under the authority of Jesus. Moment by moment, day by day, allowing him to lead me and ultimately to transform me. 
must confront, confront my own brokenness, and I must submit to his authority. Here's the third thing. I must be also be ready for resistance. I must be ready for resistance. Look back with me at, at the text, and, and let's picture now this man kneeling before Jesus, verse 6. He sees Jesus from afar. He runs, falls down before him in verse 7. Crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What's happening here? Well, this demonized man falls in submission to Jesus under his authority, but there's still, I would suggest, a a level of opposition and resistance that's happening in this situation. Verse 8 tells us that Jesus is casting out these demons. He's, he's saying, get out of there right now. And these demons aren't going to go down without a fight. There's still resistance happening. Let me show this to you. Look at verse 7. There's a couple signs of this of resistance right now. Verse 7, the first phrase, what have you to do with me? It's one of those awkward translations, so let me use a different one. Uh, the NIV puts it this way, what do you want with me? Or, what business do we have with each other? It's literally the phrase, uh, what to us and to you? There's this implication of, we have no relationship, please just leave me alone. So let me illustrate for you. Uh, Your pastor sometimes puts on his Montreal Canadiens jersey. (laughs) And as a loyal Leaf fan, in that moment, despite our 20-plus year relationship, my response is, what to us and you? What do you want from me now? We have no business here anymore. And you're thinking, did this guy just compare Habs fans with the demonic realm? I probably won't be invited back. And I love you, Todd. All right? I'm kidding, for the record. But resistance. Here's, Here's the second part of resistance that we see in this passage. What have you to do with me? Jesus, son of the most high. You say, wait a second, that seems innocent, doesn't it? I mean, isn't the demonic spirit simply calling Jesus by name and acknowledging his true authority as the son of the most high God? That's kind of what it appears, but if you dig into it, I'll put this quote up. This is from a commentator who, who put it this way. He said, this is a desperate attempt to gain control over Jesus and to render him harmless in accordance with the common assumption of that period that the use of the precise name of the adversary gave one mastery over it. So what does that mean? It means that in the ancient world, they had this notion that if you identified a spirit by name, that you had control over it in that moment. And so here's this spirit using Jesus' precise name. And I would suggest he's trying to exercise excuse me, authority over Jesus in this moment. It's a, it's a pathetic attempt to take on Jesus. But it's a reminder that oftentimes the work of the enemy is very subtle in our lives. And the enemy's just trying to find his way in. Don't need to be afraid. We just need to be aware and stand firm. Look again at verse 7 and notice this third hint of resistance. He says, I adjure you by God, or I implore you or beg you. The NIV uses it, the phrase, excuse me, in God's name. So it's possible that what's happening here is that the demons are trying to gain control by by appealing to God in this moment. Again, another pathetic attempt to resist the transforming power of Jesus. One of my sons, um, uh, Elias, um, 
he's the non-twin. We, we don't call him that. We, we call him Elias. But um, he, he's, he's 14. He's our sports enthusiast. And he wakes up every morning and watches every sports highlight until I tell him to turn it off. And, um, but he's really into football. And so the last six seasons, he's played flag football in Burlington. And it's very popular in the city. Growing popularity. And he's on this team that completely dominates every year. Like, they literally don't lose. Like, I think they won four championships in a row and they just continue to win, 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 win. And he thinks it's normal. And he's like, yeah, we blew him out again, dad. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm one of your coaches. And, um, and so, um, but this season, they're losing. I'm loving it. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? They lost three in a row and he's like, dad, I don't know, you know. And, uh, and they don't know how to lose. They don't know how to face resistance. And, and they finally won yesterday, but... But it's so interesting to watch. And here's the point I'm trying to make is that in the Christian life and in, as we seek the power of Jesus in our life, listen, it's not going to be easy. And we need to learn to expect resistance and opposition. That's normal. Jesus said, you know, it's going to be hard this way to life. And in this world, you're going to face troubles and tribulations. That's normal. And what does that resistance look like? Well, I know this has been taught to you before if you've been around this church for any length of period of time. Um, but there's <clears throat> kind of three areas of opposition, <coughs> excuse me, that, uh, that we will face in this life. Number one is the demonic realm. We see that here in this passage. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 9 tell us to be sober-minded and watchful that our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We're told to resist him firm in our faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering being experienced by your brotherhood around the world. It's part of what we will encounter. Notice, secondly, uh, the, the world is a form of resistance around us. If you haven't figured it out, the world is going in the opposite direction of Jesus. Have you figured that out yet? And First John 2 says, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride and possessions is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Listen, we're called to love the world in the sense of the people of this world as God loves the people. But we're not called to love the values of this world and the systems of this world because those are passing away and they're, they're anti-Jesus. And to follow Jesus faithfully often means that we are headed in a different direction and we need to resist the lures and the temptations and the pull of the world around us. The demonic, the, the world, and here's the third area of resistance that you're going to face. It's you and me. It's, it's me. It's my flesh. The flesh within you. Galatians chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Does that resonate with your experience? Because it does with mine. That day by day, there's this battle within me. My flesh versus the Spirit of God living within me. And I, my flesh wants to go one way, and the Spirit's trying to lead me the other. And it's a day-by-day, moment-by-moment resistance to, to follow carefully in the ways of Jesus Christ. And, and we need to expect that. That's normal. But here's the good news. Even though we're ready for that resistance, we can have confidence again today 
that because of Jesus Christ, whether it's the demonic or the world or the flesh, he's already won. Jesus conquers all those things because of his death, burial, and resurrection. The resurrection power of God is now within us to conquer all of those things. And we can experience the transforming power of Jesus Christ because Jesus is no longer in the tomb. He is alive and he reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. And so that despite the resistance, we can continue to step in to that transforming power. Here's the final thing I want to show you in and, and, and stay with me on this because this is the best part of the story, all right? Point number four, go and tell the story of what God has done. When I experience that transforming power, Jesus wants me to go and tell that story of what he's done. Look at verse nine. Jesus asks him, he says, what is your name? And he's, he replies, my name is Legion for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. So what's happening here? The conversation now, Jesus talking to this man. He's actually talking to, to the demon within this man. And he says, what's your name? And he says, oh, my name is Legion. And the Legion was an army unit, uh, about 6,000 troops. Okay, and so what matters here is not the number, but that there's just a lot of demonic influence happening in this guy's life to the point that it's completely consuming him. And so notice here in verses 9 and 10 that the demonic spirits beg Jesus not to send them out of the country. In Luke's version of this story, Luke 8, 31, it says, they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss or into the bottomless pit. Now, we don't have time to go too deep into this, but if you want to write down Revelation 9, 1, 2 Peter 2, 4, Jude, Jude 6, uh, there's, there's places where the scriptures speak of this, this bottomless pit, this place of confinement where, where the, the demonic is, is sentenced to go. And the demons are basically saying, Jesus, don't send us there right now. Anywhere but there. Where do they want to go instead? Well, notice verse 11. Now, a great herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So they're not vegan, okay, these, these demonic spirits, okay? All right, so notice verse 13. He gave them permission. You could circle that or underline that or highlight that. That's a great phrase, right? That Jesus gave them permission. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. And they are on, they're on a, on a leash. And they can only do what he allows them to do. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits, picture this in your mind, the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000 and they rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now there might be some animal lovers in the room and so I want to be sensitive here in this moment. 2,000 pigs just got wiped out. There's that pig factory in Burlington, like right where we live nearby on the way to the highway. And I'll often drive past and there's people picketing over that. And, and I live in blissful ignorance about my bacon. But um, so what I, if this, this is a concern to you, let's try to refocus on to verse 15 because this is the key thing we should focus on here right now, okay? Verse 15, look at it with me. They came to Jesus... And they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. You see that? Look at that transformation. Sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And, and, and they were afraid. I mean, this is an unbelievable, undeniable picture of the transforming power of Jesus. Notice, this man that was once violent and uncontrollable is doing what? He's 
sitting at the feet of Jesus. This man who Luke tells us would go around without any clothes on is, is now doing what? Sitting there clothed. This man who was once depressed by many, many demons is now sitting there clothed in his right mind. It's an undeniable transformation. And listen, this is what God does. This is what Jesus Christ does. He, he does incredible work of transformation. He, and we could go around the room, I'm sure, right now and, and begin to tell stories of, of the way God has transformed lives, whether small or big ways, but God does this. People whose marriages were on the brink of ruin and God did incredible work of restoration and, rest, and reconciliation. People who had uh, physical ailments that God brought healing to. People whose relationships were were ruined and God brought reconciliation. Prodigals who were once far off. Yet God brought back in his mercy and in his grace. And I don't know about you, but I believe in the transforming power of Jesus Christ. It's what gets me up in the morning every single day, believing that God can transform um, by his power and for his glory. Now look back at the text in the remaining minutes that we have here. Notice how the story concludes. It's, it's so beautiful. The people begin arriving from the city because they're hearing about what just happened. They heard about the pigs and now they're hearing about this guy. And verse 16 tells us that they're so afraid that they're like, Jesus, you just need to leave. Like, get out of here. Go away. They're so terrified. Verse 18, Jesus gets into the boat and the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. I love that. See, when G Jesus truly transforms a person, the most re natural reaction is for that person to want more of Jesus. I just want more. I want more of your presence, Jesus. I want more of your love. I want more of your power. I want more of your grace. We want more. And I'm guessing many of us, if not all of us, myself included, could use more time simply being with Jesus right now. But notice what Jesus tells this guy to do instead. Verse 19, he did not permit him, but he said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Listen, there's a time to sit at the feet of Jesus. There's a time to do that. But there's also a time to get up and to go and to get engaged in the mission that he's given us to do. We are his witnesses. We are his ambassadors of reconciliation. We have been called to go and make disciples of all nations and to, to be sent people who have been commissioned to go out into our neighborhoods, into our cities, into our families, into our workplaces, into the world around us with the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. We're called to go and tell the story of what God has done. So what, so what is your story? What's your story of the transforming power of Jesus? You see, I don't know if I have much of a story. I mean, I, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents and grandparents and great-grandparents were all believers. I didn't have crazy times of rebellion. I lived a pretty cushy life, I'll be honest with you. Do I really have a story? We can sometimes feel like, ah, I don't know if I have a really good story. Here's the story if you're in Christ Jesus right now, from Ephesians chapter two. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, 
According to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient, we too all lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath as others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, for you and for me, he made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses, you have been saved by grace. That's your story. That's the, and if you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you have been saved by grace. You were dead in your sin, but God made you alive and transformed you into a new creation. And if that's true, you have a powerful story to tell of what Jesus Christ has done. And Jesus calls us to go home to our friends and to our family, to our coworkers, to our neighbors, to our classmates, to anybody who will listen and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and for me, and how he has had mercy upon us. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment as we prepare to respond to this? I want you to just, uh, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just try to picture for a moment this story we look at. And, and think about that man, the man who was once demonized, now sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. A man whose life was radically transformed. And as you picture him sitting there, I want you to picture yourself sitting right there beside him and think about your story of what God has done in your life. The story of your salvation, if you know Jesus Christ. The story of the ways you've experienced the, the transforming power of God to set you free. Not all the chains we have in our lives are the physical chains that hold us. There's lots of others as well. Mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And Jesus wants to set us free and to show his transforming power in our lives. And so as you consider that, hear these words from Jesus as well. Go back to your friends and tell them all that the Lord has done for you. That's our call this morning as we, as we leave from here, to go and tell the story of what God has done and how he's had mercy upon us. So Heavenly Father, I thank you today. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your love. And I thank you for your transforming power. And I thank you that you did not leave us in our sin, but you chose to rescue us and to deliver us. And Jesus, I thank you for your death, for your burial, and for your resurrection, Lord Jesus Christ. That you conquered the grave. That you conquered sin and death. That the battle is won now and that we can walk in victory with your power. And so Lord, I pray for us, your people right now, in the burdens that we carry, in the seasons that we're in, even in the valleys that some of us are in right now, Lord, and we desperately need you, whether physically, whether emotionally, mentally or, or spiritually, Lord, would you minister even right now by your, your Holy Spirit? And would you do a fresh work of transformation in our lives? And I pray that as you do, you would give us the boldness to go and tell our story. This is what the Lord has done for me. He's had mercy upon me. 
God is so good that others would taste and see that goodness as well. So lead us, I pray in that, Lord. And would you receive all the glory and praise in Christ's name. Amen.